One of the smiths knelt to inspect the object. Three immense steel links, twisted together. A mighty chain. Mighty, but short, the dwarf replied. Somewhat like me. I fancy one a good deal longer. A Game of Thrones LCG podcast. Founded in 2010 as Two Champs and Chump, we thought it best to rename and rebrand ourselves freshly just in time for the game to keep the same in the second edition. Tune in each week for your dose of strategy, discussion, jokes, and good old geek culture. A huge thank you goes out to GRRM for his amazing novels, FFG for this fantastic game, Card Game DB for getting us a start, and you, our loyal listeners, for sticking through thick and thin. Check us out on our website, Facebook, Twitter, or email us at contact at and rate us on iTunes. This CC licensed music is Town by Spence. Quotes from the dwarf. Always a yeah. good way to start the white book. For sure. I've been doing a, a reread lately and uh, just finished Clash of Kings. So, Oh, that's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought that I was just like going to do one in preparation for like the penultimate season of the show slash if like there's any news about wins coming out. And then I was like, no, I probably just need to brush up on my my Song of Ice and Fire in general. I mean, I think that's a that's a wise idea, particularly Luke, because I saw some news today. I don't know if you saw this. Did did you happen to see the George R. R. Martin news today? I did not check the Germ pages. I uh, I had an unexpectedly busy day. I volunteer at the at my wife's school, uh, coaching the drama club. And uh, we stayed late and had practice till like five o'clock today. And then it was a mad rush to get dinner and everything ready. Gotcha. Well, I don't know uh, if it was on his official page. I actually saw it on The Guardian today. But that is that we are going to have a new uh, Song of Ice and Fire story in uh, coming out from Martin. So once again... Oh, like a short or... Yes. Yeah. Once again, rather than completing Winds of Winter, he is going to instead give us another uh, history work, this time uh, in an anthology called The Book of Swords coming this fall. Uh, The new short story is going to be called The Sons of the Dragon, uh, and it's going to recount the rules of uh, the second and third Targaryen kings. That is Anus the first and Magor the sorry, Magor the cruel. Nice. Nice, nice. So we'll get some uh, some like history of King's Landing a little bit there in the Magor part. Yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna gonna get a lot more interesting uh, history. I mean, 
I've really enjoyed the, the previous stuff, the short stories he's done. I mean, Dunkin' Egg is a lot better, in my opinion, than just the flat historical stuff. But even that has been fascinating. Did you read the world book? Um, you know, I have not finished the entire world book. It's still sitting here, and I made it only maybe a quarter of the way through. I really ought to finish it. I think it's worth it. I mean, it seems like it would be. Yeah, the last thing, and then we can get moving. But, like, did you... There was a... I forget which website it was. Some... some I think it was, it was like, LitHub or something like that. Like, they compiled all of the words that Martin has written in, like, blog posts or, like martin said or uh or short stories and stuff that have been published in the last like few years since the release of dance and uh it totaled like something stupid like like four hundred and fifty thousand words plus and it was like basically like okay average length of a martin novel around 300k so <laughs> it was just wow. it was just kind of funny no, I uh, I had not seen anything about that. It does I mean, sound not, pretty amusing. Not though. saying like he doesn't owe us anything. Like I get it. It's just I mean, kind of funny. Sure, he doesn't. Pretty sure he owes us. No, he doesn't. Like I, I don't <laughs> think that. I mean, as as some, I gra- I did graduate school for creative writing, and like I just don't. I don't think that writers even. I mean, he. I guess he owes his publisher. He doesn't owe the fans anything. Like he signed a contract, a monetary contract with the publisher who trusted him to complete this work. What that contract actually says, so we'll see. Yeah, Yeah, we'll see. But anyway, that's that's not worth going to. (laughs) Okay, well let's let's keep the episode rolling. uh, See if we can still keep ourselves relatively close to our newfound uh, timeline here. But before we get into the main gist of this episode, I did want to take a quick moment to mention the Patreon once again. Thank you so much to everybody that has been chipping in on that. Uh, we're, we're currently covering costs on, on the show. We've gotten a couple of new mics for, for folks. Uh, we've got enough uh, of a padding set up at the moment that I'm trying uh, a month or so of an editing service, though we at the, the current rate, uh, we will not cover that service indefinitely. So I'm hoping, folks, if you if you like the tighter job on things, that you would be interested and willing to pitch in on that. And speaking of pitching in, I want to give a, a huge thank you to some other folks that have passed that three-month mark. Uh, that's going to be to Louise G., Dave P., Zaid A., Danny D., Chris H. and John W. Uh, thanks, guys. And before long, we'll start hitting those those six-month uh, milestones, and uh, you'll start seeing some thank yous turn up in the mail for you. So be on the lookout there, folks. And, uh, of course, if that's any consideration to the listeners, there are always some, uh, some fun perks and rewards for supporting us for a while. Uh, some custom cards, tokens, T-shirts, and different things, depending on what uh, what you chip in. So check it out. Yeah, you should definitely contribute to record your own props and slaps. Yeah, yeah, you definitely should. And you should also get back to me quicker uh, when I contact you about doing so. <laughs> We've got a couple folks 
that still need to do that. Will, those are our best. Those are our best Patreon subscribers. The one who like clicks something <laughs> and then forget about it. <laughs> yes, uh, it's perfect. So if you happen to be listening to this, guys, remember <laughs> Corbin and Patrick. You are due a uh, a spot on props and slops. So we really need to match up so we can get that taken care of. If nothing else, you should just give like a buck a month so that, or I guess a buck an episode, is it? Is it per creation or is it per month? I did monthly. Okay, yeah. Give a buck a month so that I talk less. I'm not sure how that makes you talk less. I'm missing something here. Because if we're keeping with this editing service, then we got to keep down to an hour and I don't get to just derail every conversation. That's actually a fair point. I think listeners uh, really enjoy things being kept to a little bit of a better pace. In fact, I, yeah. I did get several compliments on on last week's. So we'll see. That was that was the first one with this. By the time this episode is out, we'll have heard feedback on the second episode with the new service and, and timeline. So hopefully everyone likes our pacing on that one, too. Yep, donate to shut me up. some cards yep there we go so we are going to jump right in listeners with our review of Tyrion's chain that is going to be the final chapter pack of the second cycle of the game of the second edition of the game anyway and it uh it brings an interesting end to things in some ways so how about we just go ahead and, and see where it goes, listeners? Of course, even with just two of us, we're going to stick to the same format we've been doing lately. We're going to go ahead and read both cards for the house, give some, some general thoughts on how they impact uh, the house as a whole coming out of this pack. So, Luke, uh, do you want to start off or do you want me to start off? You can talk about these star cards. <laughs> You're not excited to talk about the start cards? I can't imagine why. No. Here we go. I'm not excited to talk about any start cards. Yeah, particularly these. So here's what we've got, listeners. We've got a non-unique, non-loyal House Manderly Knight. Its traits are House Manderly and Knight. And then it also has the text, well, there's a winter plot card revealed. House Manderly Knight gets plus two strength. Uh, and I realized I should have told you, uh, along with the cost two, it is strength one and has military and power icons. Then also Stark gets Wolf in the Night, a loyal Stark event, cost one. It's a song uh, and has the action, choose a Stark character that is attacking alone. Until the end of the challenge, that character gets plus three strength and gains renown. The main thought that I have after looking at these cards is that if we don't get a bard character that lets me search my deck for like five songs and put them in my hand or an agenda that does something neat with them um, really soon, I'm going to be depressed as hell. Um, Spoken like a true Lord of the Rings player. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love my songs are worth following. 
so we need we need something. If they're going to give us these traits, I, I want to do something with it, particularly because the events are not, uh, at this point in the game, mind-blowingly good. The knight, I think, just aside from my amusement at House Manderly Knight and House Manderly period knight period, is just reasonable-ish chud. I mean, I probably wouldn't be enthused to play it if... You know, there's a heavy Targ presence in my meta. Would you ever play this over Templestone Knight? Probably not over, unless something interesting happens with House Manderly Synergy. The winter plots in general are are reasonable, I think, to, to have a cheap, high-ish, at least for the cost-strength character. But unless I have a, a build that somehow is really rewarding me for, for going wide and really keeping up the chud, I don't see a lot of need for him at the moment. Yeah, for sure. I, I won't play this card. Not just because it's Stark. I just like won't play this card. Yeah. Well, what, what about the event? I mean, it is a power grab event, and it's a surprise strength buff. I I don't know that it's worth so it. It's an available yeah. deck. Yeah, that's just... That's what I was about to say. I don't know that it's worth it in Joust, but maybe Melee? But even there, I'm a little iffy because so many of the characters I'm counting on in, in Melee in Stark have Renown. They have just buckets of it, it feels like, at this point. So, uh, I don't know. It could definitely snipe you a win somewhere in Melee. So it's 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 probably worth the consideration there. But, I mean, Stark Plus is... Three strength is, like, nothing to season as a... As a Tyrell player, like, I want one of these. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit different in a house that is nominally at least supposed to be uh, about strength mattering. Now, on the other hand, if you're doing the, the old school ladies' night deck out of Stark with a rose banner, then you can look at playing this and Lady Sansa's rose. And, mm-hmm. you know... If I had two gold laying around on a knight that didn't already have printed Renown, I would be interested to see if I could make that line up into a four-power swing. The way that I will say that in, in Joust, the way Stark currently plays, that, that this card doesn't see play. I just, I, well, I don't think that either of these cards see play the way Stark is currently constructed. So I hope that these are sort of like seeding the card pool. If not, then like Stark really didn't get a good pack. Yeah, I mean overall. Uh, in Stark here, even though I'm tentatively interested in Wolf in the Night in in Melee, I think overall I probably just give him like a D rating out of this pack, right? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. I can't give it an F because I just don't know what these cards can do. Little, since we were talking about the books, do you know what Wolf in the Night is describing? I think, isn't that Rob's victory in the, uh, the Whispering Wood? It's one of his victories. It's Oxcross. Oxcross. Ah, dang it. So close. Yeah. Because technically Whispering Wood happened in the morning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Guess I need to reread these, too. I know. You reread these, and you're like, oh, yeah, I I forgot about all this, like, stupid esoterica. I mean, I like the little details myself. I think it depends on the detail. Yeah. 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 There there can be some. I don't need to know about. Too much. Tyrion's man parts. Wow. If there was ever a time that I thought we should move on to the next house, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, so I get to get I get to uh talk about my favorite house. 
can talk about House Tyrell. We get uh, Robar, Sir Robar Royce. Uh, he's a non-loyal character. He's cost of three, strength four, with a military icon, knight traded, with the following reaction. After a summer plot card is revealed, Sir Rabar Royce gains one power, limit once per phase. And the forced reaction, after a winter plot card is revealed, kneel Sir, Ro- Sir Robar Royce. And then Renly's Pavilion, which is a location, a loyal Tyro location, cost two, Westeros traded, and then action. Neil Renly's Pavilion to choose two characters. Until the end of the phase, one of those characters gets minus one strength, and the other gets plus one strength. <sighs> yeah, I mean, they're both fine. Robar is uh, efficient for his cost slot. Power gain is always nice. Um, if the meta ever shifts to where you see a lot of like Kings of Winter, you may not want to sleeve him up, but for now, seems fine to me. Power gain at a good strength point uh, with a good trait. And Renly's Pavilion is a two-strength swing that is super annoying to play around. Even at two cost, I, I, I like the card. I like the design. I think Tyrell has a fine pack. I don't think that either of these make Tyrell noticeably better, but I don't think that they, they had a bad pack. What do you think, Will? Really? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, I guess I should uh, start with Robar Voice. I mean, he's he's a fine character. He's a reasonable character. He's a 1x character, which is a little bit of a bummer to me. But I, I do like at least it's worth noting that his regular reaction, the summer-related one, can still happen even if his forced reaction, the negative winter one, uh, goes off. So if you're kind of looking at him in a in a hard summer deck uh, as kind of a power gaining engine yes you may potentially lose uh, the use of him for challenges but you can still gain the power off of the reveal of your own summer block card so I, I do like that to me it, it means he's not you know completely neutered or or useless in those situations I can still count on something out of it and I think that's something, uh, at least. So it, it has me kind of... I didn't say he was good. I said he was fine. Yeah, he's just fine. He's just fine uh, in general. But uh, I think Renly's Pavilion is really solid. I wish it was non-unique, but then maybe it would be just too crazy. Yeah, that'd be uh, pretty as gross. A, yeah. As a unique, even, it has me sorely thinking about putting in at least two copies of it. I'm excited because this is actually kind of a strength matters sort of card for Tyrell, which we've gotten almost nothing of since <laughs> since the core set. So this actually does something with that, and I, I like it. I think it's going to really have some capability to, to swing the right challenges hard into Tyrell's favor. Um, since I just got off of, of playing Tyrell's son, I'm, I'm loving the thought of uh, using this after my opponent declares, you know, defenders or something so that I can uh, bump their strength down so that now their defender has the lowest strength on the board. Then bouncing Ariane onto my hand and dropping the, the Florent Knights into play to discard their defender. So then they, you know, their defender bites the dust and they lose the challenge. Just... Uh, uh, I, I, I think I might have like understated. I, I like this card. I like the design. I don't know how many copies I'm going to be finding room for, depending on the Tyrell deck that I'm running. 
Because I think that there are legitimately different Tyrell builds that you can do right now, and some of them don't want this card. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you're right. Uh, and, I, and I agree that they're getting to a, a point where you can have a, some fairly distinct builds that are shooting at different angles. And I, I definitely think this is for the decks on that control aspect. Um, but I really like that. I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. I mean, I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna see. Like, I'm gonna see how good it really is. My first impression that it's is it's decent. Like, it's definitely more than playable. But you know, testing will bear that out. We'll we'll see. I think Tyrell ultimately came out at kind of the the C range. I mean, like two um, decent playable cards. Uh, one that is markedly better one that is markedly worse i think it just comes out as an average pack for tyrell you know i think it's a little above average um i know i have kind of a history of under rating locations so maybe i'm overreacting the other direction here but i think renly's pavilion is going to be really good i should also point out it's another way finally to stand uh randall tarley uh which i think it is, is definitely i'm just, gonna I'm have just thinking impact. space i mean tyrell plays a lot of locations and I guess it depends on the build. Again, you just it need depends this on the, the arbor. It it does, it does. But I like this enough that I'm actually going to give Tyrell a B out of out of this pack overall. Yeah, that is a little bit different. Yeah, I hope yeah, that Renly, Renly's Pavilion is that good. I just like I said, I think that Renly's Pavilion is like a B minus card, and Sir Robot Royce is like a C minus card, and I think that that gives them like a C. So yeah. Uh, I think Royce is is a reasonable C, but I I think Renly's Pavilion is is going to be higher. I think it's a, like a B plus at least. I hope so. I'm hedging my bets just because I'm like apprehensive of seeing a card that I'm like, ooh, I want to play with it. Anyway, you want to talk about the best card in the pack? Um, sure. I mean, I don't know for certain it's the best card in the pack, but there's a pretty good chance. Um, which is good because it didn't see a ton of play in first edition, so. Here we move on to Night's Watch, and we have the first edition champion card uh, updated here from Jonathan Benton, our 2009 Melee World Champion. This is unique, Corrin Halfhand. He's Night's Watch, of course, non-loyal, six cost, five strength, military, and power icons, has the ranger trait. He also has renown and no attachments except weapon. And then the reaction after you win a military challenge in which Corrin Halfhand is participating, choose and kill a non-unique character with lower strength than his, controlled by the losing opponent. And then the second card is also unique, the Fist of the First Men. This is a non-loyal location for cost two, the North trait. And while you your reserve is higher than that of an opponent, each Ranger character you control gets plus one strength, and cannot be bypassed by stealth. You know, the location is just kind of blah to me. I don't think it's it's huge. I uh, do think we need a few more rangers for me to really nail this. But hey, we got another ranger in this pack. And Corrin looks so good at the way the game is right now. This repeatable kill, knocking off chaff potentially the first time that I read it. pisses me off. Yeah, it, like when I first read it, I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is going to like give an alternate card here to, to encourage the aggressive Night's Watch decks. 
you know, instead and kind of be like, oh, here's something awesome if you want to play a different direction than the, the boring old defense thing. And then I realized that he just said participating, um, which means you can trigger him if you win on defense. It's not by any particular amount, just win on defense. So I think this, you know, potentially really hammers people trying to, to force through challenges against night's watch here man what do you think yeah, exactly yeah the uh the threat of activation is um gonna muck with people in general and even though he's six costs and a no night's watch economy can be tight he has printed renown and two icons with a good trait like yeah oh a very good trait for uh night's and watch. He's, oh by the way he's like he's non-loyal like it like Night's Watch has a decent banner package already, and he makes that banner package ridiculous to just, like, slot into a good stuff deck that you can just, like, you can just win challenges on defense with him, knock off a chud, kneel Shadow Tower, prevent somebody else from attacking, you know, use a ghost, prevent somebody from from defending. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff you can do with a banner watch package now, and he yeah. really enables that. I mean, and he doesn't even just knock off Chud. His strength is high enough at five that he can be knocking off Hashas and Aryans and things. Uh, Marjorie. Oh, I mean, I'm just assuming that my opponent is smart enough to play around that. Yeah, yeah I mean, I would hope so. But, uh, you know, you never know. I suppose it just takes one good accidental uh, move into this and you're going to be kicking yourself for the rest of the game. I just, I wonder how many slots a defense deck is going to dedicate to him. And I think that that may be the balancing point for that deck. But I think somebody's going to figure out a way to make him stupid. Oh, yeah. As far as the location goes, I mean, I feel like it's pretty extraneous at this point. Do you pretty well agree with that? Yeah, pretty much. I, I like that they're giving some love to the uh, the reserve theme, and, and it's, it's super deadly, right? Like that Night's Watch is always just constantly stockpiling resources and trying to keep as much of it around. And so I kind of like the the nod to to that aspect. But it's the first card that we've gotten in a while that really plays off of reserve value. Yeah, in in a couple packs uh, at least. But I just I don't think this effect really is is quite gonna make people really worry about the reserve stuff just yet i think this one's gonna go by the wayside so yeah i'm just it's it's just one thing that i like in terms of design and if we get other effects that trigger off of it then i like that idea of an archetype yeah yeah i mean it's it's, what i'm saying gotcha it's definitely something that i hope we see more of uh as the game goes but Man, overall, what do I give Night's Watch out of this pack? Like a, a B plus, maybe an A minus. I think it's like a B minus pack because I just I yeah. don't see Core and Half End like not being a consideration in most Night's Watch decks, whether it's aggressive or defensive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Corin I think looks like he he almost certainly becomes a staple for them. Okay, I think he convinced me. A minus then. So I get to talk about Barra, who's, who's grown on me quite a bit yeah. lately, actually. And not just because of the counter to Night's Watch. I mean, it's a, it's a faction that I've enjoyed playing more. We get Salador San, who is definitely one of the most interesting uh, ancillary characters in the book. Um, 
He's a unique Baratheon character, non-loyal. Uh, four cost, three strength, military intrigue icons. He has three traits. Mercenary, raider, and smuggler. And reaction. After you win a challenge in which Salador's son is participating, put a warship location or weapon attachment into play from your hand. And then we get the Valyrian, which is a Baratheon non-loyal location, unique, cost of one, with the warship trait, keyword ambush, cost of two. Action, kneel the Valyrian to give an attacking character plus X strength until the end of the challenge. X is the number of gold in the defending player's gold pool. So they're really, really pushing to shoehorn the the Barra Kraken deck, are they not? I mean, I don't know. I like, Salador San has some interesting applications, but his traits alone, like Raider, like I've only seen that on Greyjoy cards, and I played the very, very tail end of first edition. I know that that was like a synergy, albeit not a very good one for Greyjoy. And if there's any intention of bringing that back, then it's basically like, oh, I guess you play Salador San with Greyjoy cards. Being able to ambush a weapon attachment is really fascinating to me. Um, Surprise Lightbringers sounds hilarious. He's he's a cool combo card. I, I kind of like him. I mean, I think he looks okay. I can only assume that really the Raider thing is that they want, did not want to add a separate pirate trait. Because I I got oh, got the feel in the books a that Pirate a Greyjoy Raider is pretty different from what Salador San does. But oh, I know, oh, but well. like what pirate trait? That would be so sweet. I know, right? I would be all in on a pirate deck. But I just as can't is, wait until we have enough cards so I can make my companion and warship deck. <laughs> oh, love it, love it. Yeah, my boat, my boats and hose deck. Yep. I just find it interesting that he comes, you know, prepackaged with a warship here that already has ambush itself. So it just makes his ability feel kind of lackluster when you see it right next to a warship that can bounce itself in anyway. So it just I guess doesn't. you just don't have to pay money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is a bonus, but it just like kind of feels like it works against itself as far as the wow factor of flipping through your new cards in in the pack there um but still i mean his his cost and and strength and icons are reasonable in baratheon i don't think they're going to complain about another intrigue icon like that um his ability is going to be questionable uh at best in house with what we've got right now uh, the Valerian looks so-so. It it appears to me to be uh, a the Valerian is super nasty. Like tip of the cap to the design team for really nailing the theme on the Valerian. Yeah, I mean it. It seems pretty cool there, as you know, a pirate ship, so to speak, uh, going yeah, after I mean, it's, the it's ship. Yeah. So you well, you pay, said, you so pay money for it. Later. And then your dudes get better the more money they the other people have. Like that's awesome. Sort of. Uh, yeah. The more they want to want to steal it, it definitely I think in gameplay feels like kind of an anti Lannister card. Maybe to a lesser extent, uh, an anti Tyrell card. So it it definitely has the most application there. I think possibly Martell if they happen to have uh, 
Oh, what's their house specific plot again? I always forget. Yeah, the long plan. There we go. But overall, I don't think this is a huge boon for them. Uh, And Salador, I think, is just okay. No, I don't think that either of these cards help Vera do what they want to do. Yeah, I think this is like a C pack tops for Vera. Maybe actually a little under that. Maybe a C minus pack. It it just doesn't play into their existing game plans, like you said. Yeah, as it currently sits, this is a D plus pack, and I love giving that rating because it's not a real rating. Like D plus, like really D plus, but it is. It really is. I I don't really see. I mean, I guess Salador San has. A green icon, which is nice, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's just not enough in the end. So, do I get to talk about? Do I get to talk about red cards? Yeah, you get the red cards this time. Or, uh, no, you red bear. I get. The oh, that's right. I talked about bear. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. So you get the red cards. Okay. So first up, we have Podrick Payne. He is a unique, non-loyal Lannister character. Cost three, a whopping one strength military and power icons he has the companion trait take that how you will and the interrupt when a character would be killed to satisfy military claim pay two gold and put podrick Payne into play from your hand to save that character then if that character was Tyrion lannister you may pay two gold to choose and kill an attacking character then next up we have Tyrion's chain which is a loyal House Lannister event of cost one and reaction after you win a challenge in which you control a unique Lannister character, choose a revealed war plot card, initiate the win revealed ability on that card as if you had just revealed it. Max one per phase. Can I just start by saying that I feel like both of these are huge Nedley wins. I I love the thought of playing Tyrion's chain to re-trigger a wildfire assault and, and kill everything during the challenge phase or well everything kill all but three on each side of the board but regardless that that seems kind of fun i don't really know that there's other war plots i desperately want to to do something with at the moment but it's you know it's open-ended and will only get more interesting uh, as more war plots are revealed Podrick, I think, seems very reasonable. I, you know, I saw a lot of folks pretty up in arms about him, um, but he is still fairly expensive uh, of an investment to actually uh, trigger this ability. So, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm hugely worried, especially because, uh, as is noted here in in the little uh, FAQ notation on on Thrones DB that. If you already have a pod in play and you go to trigger another one from your hand, the pay two gold part, uh, like to choose and kill somebody can't be used, nor does the save happen because he comes into play as a duplicate. So it's not considered to have put him in play, which means the cost wasn't paid. So, yeah, I don't know means he's probably a one-shot unless you're looking at bouncing him with uh, specific effects. And then you're really putting a lot of work into bouncing and looping, you know, four gold into challenges and whatnot. I think he's I think he's good and fun and deadly, but not the, the terrifying aspect that I kind of got from the online buzz. How about you? 
these cards are both terrible. Like, I'm not including... There are so many better Lannister cards to include than Potter Payne. I mean, I would rather pay two gold for a burn then to ambush in for claim than try to claim a Tyrion and then have it potentially get... Can- and then have this guy potentially get cancelled. Like, it's just like... I don't see why people are that worried about Podrick Payne. Sure, targeted kill, whatever. I guess I'm saving four gold and I don't get to use my hound now, which, I mean, like, this guy is fine. If somebody else finds a really good way to use him, then I'll eat my words. Good on ya. Tyrion's chain is binder fodder at best. Like, you want to trigger what? How many wind reveal plot cards are on war plots? I guess... Oh, wait, I did the research. It's literally heads on spikes... Naval Superiority, Reinforcements, and Wildfire Assault. That's it. Okay, so... But how many of those plots do you see on a regular basis besides Wildfire? Uh, heads comes and goes. I don't see Reinforcements much, but you I don't could see, see myself... Joust. I could see myself trying to build a deck utilizing those if I know that I'm playing Tyrion's Chain... Sure, you can build um, a deck that's going to lose. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not saying it's great, but those are reasonable effects to trigger more than once. Uh, yeah, I guess. But I mean, like, number one, you have to have that plot card revealed, or that opponent has to have that plot card revealed. Then you have to win the challenge. I mean, it, this card's terrible. Both of these cards are bad. Neither of these cards will see play. They're Nedley wins, so I will say that this is a D pack for Lannister best. Uh, you know, I don't think it's it's quite that low, particularly because I think Tyrion's chain only gets better as uh, as more cards are released and we potentially get more war plots. Well, arguably, it only gets better when we specifically get more war plots. But regardless, uh, I like it, though I acknowledge neither one uh, is just blowing me away. So I think I'm going to actually give Lannister a C- minus here. All I'm saying is that like the way that they built Lannister for two cycles and uh, two boxes, they're not going to want to play four plots. Let's just say, I mean, this is like one of the evidence pieces that we have where like sort of an overcorrection for Night's Watch and a like huge nerfing of Lannister in Cycle 2, which is okay. Like, Lannister is still really, 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 really good, but these two cards don't have any impact on the game. Anyway, I'll read blue cards, because I'm actually excited about these two cards, even though I may not play them because I don't really play Greyjoy. I get Esgrid, which is a uh, unique character, non-loyal, cost of 5, strength of 2, Tricon, all three of them. Ironborn traded with stealth. If you control Asha Greyjoy, sacrifice Esgrid to have Asha Greyjoy gain one power. Esgrid may bypass an additional character using stealth. Again, a super Nedley win. I really, really like the design space there of um, making stealth matter and um, the alternate identity thing that comes up in, in Martin's books over and over and over again. Like, I hope we get a cat of the canals. Like, I hope we get all these different uh, names that people go by and that you have to ditch them if you have the the regular character's name. I don't know. I mean, I think she's fine. I don't know how many slots you ever dedicate to her, but if I don't see Asha and I see Esgrid, like, I'm not upset. And then we get Sea Bitch, which is a unique Greyjoy location, not loyal, cost of one. 
warship traded. Action. Sacrifice sea bitch to choose a non-limited location. Until the end of the phase, take control of that location. This card is really good. It's non-loyal, it's cheap, and location control in the current meta is something that is totally and utterly inaccessible unless you play Greyjoy Vane or Banner Kraken. And uh, I think Sea Bitch will see play until some of the location heavy decks rotate out. Even though it's a sacrifice one-off use, um, that can swing a game against certain archetypes. I, I like that card. I think it's pretty good. Um, I'd play this over some of the other warships. So, yeah. What do you think, Will? I mean, I uh, I think I like both of these cards pretty well. I can't believe we actually got a card by the name Sea Bitch, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, it's well, I mean, cheap, it's, it's reasonable. Ship, so. Yeah, but I just... You know, we never got that in first edition uh, where the CCG, I think FFG wanted to, to stay away from actually using uh, bitch in a name. So it, it's interesting and kind That's of exciting to me to trait. see it. Yes, exactly. Didn't want to actually go with Harlot or Painted Jezebel uh, or Hoor, depending on your preference. <laughs> Wait, what's the second one? <laughs> uh I think I said Harlot for the second one, didn't I? No, you said what was it? it was you said Harlot, and then what was it after that? I also said Painted Jezebel. Yeah, okay. I wanted to make sure that was the, <laughs> that was what you said. I was like, okay, I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, all right. Yeah, go. Ahead. So talk about talk about these Greyjoy cards. Yeah, so I I do like it. Um, I'm really starting to kind of come around on some of the location control out of Greyjoy now. And I, I'm kind of feeling like the the environment is getting to a point where you can use those effects and get some good use out of them, probably because Night's Watch is on this, uh, this upswing. And as if Greyjoy didn't already have a, a reasonable matchup against them, what with Balin and Stealth and the like... Now, Sea Bitch gives you an option to yank a, a haunted forest right out from under them, for instance, and or things the wall. of that nature. Oh yeah, or the wall. Sorry, I, I personally <laughs> read that as non-unique rather than non-limited, but it is non-limited, so you could or take the wall. An Iron Throne or a Red Keep, or I mean, there's a yep. lot of uses for this card. Oh yeah, a lot of good stuff. Tower in the hand. I, I think it's going to be very reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I especially love the idea of marshalling first and then taking Oof. Stark's Iron Hall. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I think Sea Bitch is is really quite good, and at one cost, it is the most minimal of investments uh, to get that out there. Esgrid, I think, is is interesting. Um, the low strength to high cost really worries me, but bypassing an additional character with stealth, who? Boy, that gets challenges through like nobody's business. You know, the little alternate identity thing. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And you could let this Esgrid get burnt and then still play um, Asha by name, which I think kind of leads me toward I I would be tempted, I think, to play to go ahead and stick with my normal copies of Asha, which is generally three. And maybe just add one Esgrid to the mix. Um, I think that's the right call. Kind of go from there. 
I just kind of use her as an as an extra off copy. Um, but regardless, I dude, she's the only she's the only Greyjoy character with stealth that has an intrigue icon. Right, hard intrigue icon. Pretty she's pretty. Here. She's pretty good. I think Greyjoy had a pretty good pack here. I'm gonna give Greyjoy a B. Yeah, that's that is definitely what I was thinking as well. I think they got two very respectable cards in this pack. Oh, Esgrid is also non-loyal. Like, I really love the idea of Lanny Kraken just, like, throwing down on, like, 1x of Asha, 1x of Esgrid, and being like, nah, I don't really care which one I draw. Yeah. Or Tyrell yeah. Kraken or whatever. Tyrell Kraken. Whew. Gonna be fun. Yeah. Now you get to talk about my, like, current second favorite house. Ooh, okay. Well, yeah. Now we are on to Targaryen. First up, we have the unique Quaith of the Shadow. Uh, this is non-loyal character, two costs, two strength, military and intrigue icons. She has that elusive companion trait, ambush of three, and the reaction after Quaith the Shadow enters play during a challenge. Remove each participating character with strength two or lower from the challenge. Then we also get the unique House of the Undying. This is a loyal Targaryen location for six cost. It has the Quarth trait. Oh. Yeah. And then the challenge is action. Remove House of the Undying from the game to choose an opponent. Put each character in that player's dead pile into play under your control. At the end of the phase, return each of those cards to its owner's dead pile. Cannot be saved. Um, I think... I, let me, I guess, maybe start with Quaith. I think she's a, just a very respectable, solid low-cost utility character for Targaryen. I've been excited to see them get a couple of those uh, in this cycle. Uh, I think she's, she slots in well with, you know, minimal deck slot uh, investments. You mean considering, like, their core set was all just low-cost utility characters? Yeah, yeah, they're continuing to get that. Well, you know, in Danny, you got you got to have some other stuff that you can play around Danny since, since you're definitely playing her in a well, lot no, of I wasn't, I wasn't being facetious. Like their entire core set was just like low cost utility characters, Danny and Drogo, and then they got a bunch of like, like weirdly costed stuff for the entire first cycle. Yeah. Well, you know, they did get crowned, and that was so, about it. Yeah, the two opposite ends of that scale. So, I mean, I I think Quaith is, is a very very reasonable uh, effect uh, and ability and cost point and stuff. I like her a lot. House of the Undying is one of those bomb, awesome Shaga cards. It's got that that real wow factor when you look at it. It it has the potential to have kind of a neat uh, combo-ish deck built around it that I think will probably only get better as, as the pool expands. For folks that kind of saw a little bit of commentary about this in the, the Facebook group, uh, I'll recap briefly, but I won't go into huge detail because it's first edition, but uh, former host of the show and, and two-time world champ uh, a couple years back to at the first edition uh, world championships, played a deck based around a first edition card much like this uh, that was four cost and did not remove itself from the game. It just went to the discard pile. Uh, so, he, yeah. So he, he played that with a lot of, of resets to put things in the opponent's dead pile. Oh, and of course, his own 
uh, champ designed agenda um, to give himself extra resources and then ways to make locations cheaper, ways to recycle locations from the discard pile back into play and just try to stall the game out for, you know, four turns or so and just kill everything possible and then just grind you to death under the, the boot heels of your own characters challenge phase after challenge phase after challenge phase what's the name of that Greyjoy location reducer abandoned hulk is that what it was uh something like that yeah Yeah. so yeah i wouldn't want those in second edition yeah i think with what is almost certain to be uh no ability to yeah i think since there will almost certainly be no ability to loop this uh over and over every phase since it removes from the game I don't think that uh, a location like that that reduced the cost of other locations would be too, you know, too far out there. This is just kind of in that tantalizing spot where, like I said, you get that wow Shaga factor, but it's probably too expensive to really be there at the moment. So I don't know. What do you think, Luke? Well, I just love House of the Undying because of its implications in draft because it's hilarious in draft. There was a picture of a board state where Johnny Wright had like an eight claim challenge to win the game because he had all of the different house affiliations from somebody else's dead pile. And he played that one plot card that gives you plus that has X claim where X is equal to the number of house affiliations you have. But it was really funny. Quite is super useful. I like her a lot. Uh, house of the Undying. Yeah, I don't see it making its way into a lot of decks. It'll be a really hilarious melee trigger if you get it off. But yeah, I think Targ gets a flat C because quite the shadow is just super useful and will make her way into a lot of decks. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think she'll be very useful. So Targaryen for me out of this pack, I think probably gets maybe a flat B. Uh, maybe a B minus, just since I don't think House of the Undying is strictly playable yet, but I, I do think it'll get there. So I get the orange cards now? Yes, sir. Okay, so I get Sir Eris Oakheart, uh, is a non-loyal, unique Martell character, cost of four, strength of three, with a military and power icon, Kingsguard, and Knight traded. No attachments except weapon. Reaction, after Sir Eris Oakheart enters play, pay two gold to choose an ally character and discard it from play. Oh yeah, he's going to see play. Uh, He's really good. Um, His threat of activation alone makes you leery of including high-cost allies in your deck. I I really like him, especially just as a four-cost Bicon in Martell. He's good. And then we get the Green Blood, which is a non-loyal location, cost of three, with the Dorn trait. Each Martell character you control gets plus one strength for each revealed summer blackheart. Cool combo enabler. Uh, a little expensive for what it does in current Martell builds, but nonetheless an interesting card to push a new archetype. Yeah, I like both of these cards. I I, I am more excited about Sir Eris, uh, but I hope that Martell keeps getting like these interesting cards that will just like eventually blossom into this just OP stupid deck where you're just, your opponent can't do anything. You really, really want to uh, see that happen? Yeah, because I like the idea of like Martell not having anything like particularly powerful on the board, and then just like sort of like looking at you and smiling and keeping a certain amount of gold, and, and your opponent just being like, "Oh crap!" And then the Martell players just laughing because they're like, 
Yeah, I don't have any of that like, stuff. I can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that, that does seem fairly amusing. I like that the Valor Morgolas tokens from Jack and stay on the board after I discard him with Sir Eris Ogard. Uh, no, I thought it said if he leaves play to oh, discard boo. them. I just kind of yeah. wanted the Valor Morgolas token on it. Yeah. But that, would be, <laughs> that would be a balance issue, but yeah. That, that would be loads of fun. But I, I think he's a, a very reasonable card for Martell. I wish he uh, had a keyword, but that's just me thinking about the first edition version again. I do too. Jamie can give yeah. him an Intrigaka. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. No, I, th- I think he's reasonable. He, I think he's much more likely to kind of ebb and flow uh in in the environment as yep. the number of allies people play uh shifts compared to the first edition one which had renown so you were always like well if nothing else i get a renowned character on the board and you know i can i can make some some time up doing that so i don't think he's as good but he, he's an interesting utility card the green blood i think just strikes me as a little lackluster, slightly under uh, the curve of what I want out of Martell. I mean, when you when you look at it at, at, compared to another like a blanket boost card, like say the Wall, uh, you know, for an extra one gold, you get a, a flat always boost plus the power gain ability. The Green Blood, on the other hand, I mean, yes. It, Maybe occasionally you get a plus two out of it in, in Joust. Maybe on you know the dream turn in melee you get a plus four to all of your type, your Martel characters. But let's be honest, that's not something you can really plan and count on. Like the the kind of best case scenario is to get plus one every turn of the game, and at that point you're really dictating. A lot of your plots to do that and yeah. i just i, mean, like I, I said, just don't think the combo and it yeah i just don't think it's it's quite enough for it i mean yeah maybe it's another red viper power turn kind of thing but doran i mean doran doran's the strength boost and then this is extra strength and then if you have song of summer revealed it's extra strength it's a total combo card and i enjoy seeing those I did forget to mention that, Sir, well, I mentioned it when I read the card, but Sir Eris Okar just says enter play, not Marshall. That dude's going in decks. That dude's going in decks. Yeah, like, there you go. You can uh, you can bring him into play with Ariane. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you bounce Ariane, you bring Ari's Okard in, and if you got two gold that you weren't going to do anything with anyway, or they were too afraid of the vengeance for Alia, and you bomb their reducer, and it leaves them down to nothing... And you can march the next turn. I, I, Eris is really, really good. Okay, so Martell in general here. I, I think I probably only gave him a C plus out of this pack, though. I agree. Like I, I said, a C plus because I think I think Sir Eris Okart goes in a lot of decks. I think the Green Blood goes in like one funny deck. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's pretty accurate. And then the neutrals. Then the neutrals will do these on their own. So uh, I guess I've got Northern Refugee. This is a two-cost, uh, one-strength intrigue and power icon. 
ally and wildling traits. And while there is a winter plot card revealed, reduce the cost to Marshall Northern Refugee by one. Frankly, I like this quite a bit. Me too. Yeah, sometimes you just really kind of need a, a cheap body for entry claim or whatever it might be. Or entry claim, sorry, a military claim or to initiate uh, those intrigue challenges, particularly for Lords of the Crossing or something. I've also been really uh, feeling that the, the wildling deck, so to speak, with like Mance needed a few more low cost wildlings to really make that that ambush thing kind of come into its own a lot of the winter plot cards are uh on the low gold side so this being only a one drop when you have a winter plot revealed i think uh lines up really well for it yeah you pretty much said everything i was gonna say it's a card that goes in a specific deck but when it's in that deck it really shines yeah so what do we give it overall though i mean it's still just kind of a a french vanilla as the saying goes uh chud so i mean it's it's probably only like a c plus right i was gonna say c plus yeah okay so i get relentless assault yep okay it's a neutral event cost of zero reaction after you win a challenge by five or more strength as the attacking player kneel your faction card then you may initiate an additional challenge of that type this phase and if memory serves me correctly, this was a CCG card for Greyjoy. Um, well, Greyjoy had a way to make extra challenges. Yeah, I just I don't believe this was a neutral name. card. Uh, well, there were there were different variations. There was a relentless assault that let you make another challenge after you won by I think four year or more, four. maybe four. Yeah. But then there was also uh, I believe it was Lord Eddard's command, yeah. the Stark only event where you would kneel your house card yeah. to make another challenge. Yeah. Uh, so this is kind of a blending of, of the two, but I think it's going to be really good. I think that this card will see play in both formats. I think this will see play in Melee and Joust, and it's not going to go in every deck, but the decks that somebody finds a way to make it work in, you know, good on you. It's going to be really clutch in those situations. I also really love the deck types that it opens up, just like the be super dedicated to one of the three challenges, just like smash you over the head over and over and over again, either by hitting your hand, making sure you can't gain power, or just like cleaning your board. I think that this card's pretty good. I, I enjoy it. I, I don't think it's like quite an A, but I think it's definitely like in the solid B range. I really like it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's, well, I guess I'm rating it ahead of talking much about it but uh, i think it's probably a b to maybe a b plus for me i think it, it's very solid and flexible in that it you know can be any challenge as long as you can win that one by five i think more often than not that's gonna wind up being the, the military challenge in joust uh to really hammer your opponent with some board attrition uh stuff like jamie or asha is going to really help make that pretty potent but it's also going to be really powerful uh, on power challenges to, to help close out a game fast, particularly in something like Melee, where you might be able to get that challenge unopposed. Even a, a Balan or Asha in either Joust or Melee can really, really help you push that hard. I mean, if you're a Greyjoy and you're getting, you know, say two unopposed challenge power challenges somehow out of this, uh, that's probably a 
really big power swing to begin with if you happen to throw in uh you know any any bit of renown or extra power gain from a plot be that clash of kings or what have you like that starts looking like a really big jump uh i think i think this is going to be yet another reason to to go back to looking at hands judgment index it might be i don't know if it'll shift that fast i think there's other events that could shift the balance that way i don't know but yeah it's good it's it's really good let's talk about tarred heads that's your card will okay uh this one's a neutral one cost event and reaction after you win a power challenge discard one card at random from the losing opponent's hand if that card is a character place it in its owner's dead pile i actually do kind of like this it's not quite as good as the heads on spikes plot yeah i hate i hate it for that reason (laughs) you wish it actually gave you some power as well oh sure why not yeah yeah I mean, I, I think it's it's pretty reasonable what cost you're you're not having to win uh, by a certain amount, which is pretty big. You know, it's some kind of pseudo card advantage. Sure, it's it's one for one, but they're losing at random. And if you hit a character, then it's a more permanent kind of form of removal. Uh, it's on an off challenge, so to speak, where your opponent doesn't doesn't always expect that type of thing. To be able to happen i mean it's not for every deck but i do like this a lot and it has me really thinking about you know some hard hand controlled decks out of i mean geez i i think there's probably three houses that are really strong candidates for that uh out of, out of lannister or uh martell or baratheon with uh, all their additional discard effects plus heads on spikes as the plot I, I do like it. I mean, I think it sees a ton of play personally, but I, I don't like the philosophy behind this card. Like, I don't like the idea of having a challenge that you don't have to necessarily win by some determinate amount that you can't play around. And then just like you could potentially, just because you're playing a well-paced game, just lose a game because somebody takes a random card out of your hand. That being said, like I said, I don't see very much play just because neutral event slots are already pretty tight and event slots in general are going to be pretty tight going forward. I don't even know what to rate this card. I think that this card is like a C, C plus. I'll go with C plus. Um, yeah, it, it's it's so hard for me to rate, I think, until I kind of play around with it because I think it is for very specific kinds of decks. Though, you know, a cheeky one of, I think, could be pretty entertaining if you hit your opponent with that once. Now they're paranoid about power I can see this card causing a table flip. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I can, I can see that, too. Uh, so it, I think it's really, really hard to rate, uh, which leaves me kind of defaulting to just a C at the moment. But I guess we will see what happens. Yeah, I mean... Discarding cards and killing stuff when it's discarded never hurt nobody. So I'm going to have the last card in the pack, which is the Battle of the Blackwater, which coincidentally is another one of those war plots. It's uh, four income, six initiative, one claim, five reserve, uh, siege and war traded when revealed. Choose an opponent, remove each duplicate controlled by you and the chosen opponent from the game. That is super swingy. I don't know how many decks are going to really try to take advantage of that and leverage it, but 
wow, what an interesting effect, because it's the only thing in the game that really affects duplicates. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to see it specifically referenced like that. Used to be I really liked those 461 uh, stats, but it's just kind of questionable to me. The fact that it's a war and you can uh, re-trigger it with Tyrion's chain is, I think, kind of unexciting or at least largely not applicable so I, I feel like this one is just kind of a either a meta plot at best or possibly um, some kind of control decks that want to heavily leverage valor uh, or potentially using this the term before they reveal valor which of course you know is heavily telegraphing things but hey you know it, it might be worth it at Tulsa, I might have might have killed somebody. Probably, uh, I don't know. Probably Daryl for longtime listeners to have this in my plot deck versus that dang Stark deck that seemed to have all characters triplicated by the end of the first marshaling phase. Uh, it was super frustrating. So it, it's so situation dependent that I probably shouldn't like it in the end, though. Yeah, this card's a. A D plus. I don't see this card seeing play very often. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a, a D is probably a pretty pretty accurate assessment on this particular plot. But I think it's good to have it in existence. Well, that's the pack. We got Horn Half Hand and the Greyjoy cards and Sir RSO card. Yeah, and Relentless yeah. Assault. Yeah, I think those are the those are the highlights. Not a huge shakeup kind of kind of pack here. At best, kind of a rounding out, but not a, even a great rounding out. I think it's just a couple cards you got to be aware of. Yeah, like things. I don't know that they necessarily will impact the meta dramatically, but like when they hit the table, you have to go. Oh yeah, that's right. That exists. Yeah, not really the note that I would have wanted to end the cycle on most of the time. But hey, what can you do? This is this is what happened. I guess now we just have to look forward to cycle three. A bunch of Netley wins in this pack. That's true. And I mean, I am a huge fan of those Netley wins. So uh, you want to move on to props and slops? Yeah, props and slops. Let's see. This week, what do I want to throw some props out to? Uh, you know, I on the one hand, sort of hate to say it, but I think I am going to throw some props out to Star Wars Destiny. I picked up some cards. and Okay, you know, I refuse I to do this podcast anymore. <laughs> Once I got kind of got used to the flow, I you know it's a it's a fun little change of pace. So we'll see how it goes from from here. But mechanically, I kind of like it. Slops to Will playing Star Wars Destiny, and I guess I don't know. Uh, oh, props to uh, Jamaican writer Marlon James. I taught one of his books in class, and then he came to Butler, and we got to see him talk, and got to meet him, and 
that dude's just super, super interesting. So props to Marlon James. Nice. Yeah, I think that's all I got. Wow, just the one prop this week. I mean, there's other things that I could prop, but like we're buttoned up against time and nobody cares. <laughs> Everyone's tuning it out already. Hey, yeah. I mean, I think we made awfully good time. So props to us, I think, for battening down the hatches. Yeah, on a review really episode. Pushing. Yeah, we did a review in like an hour ten, give or take. I think that's pretty dang good for us. Oh, especially with me on the cast. Exactly. Well, if, if you don't have any other props and slops, I'm going to reprop our contest from last week. And I'm going to tell folks, hurry, there's yeah. still a little bit of time to enter the House Botley House Words contest. So remember, that ends on February 14th for submissions. I forgot that we had set the, de- the deadline as Valentine's Day. Exactly. It's because we love House Botley so much. I mean, House Botley is clearly the dark horse to win the Iron Throne. <laughs> yeah, Wex is is going to make it happen somehow. Yeah, Wex Pike is the Leicester City Football Club of Westeros. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah, so I'm just going to like, I'm just going to put prop bets on West Pi- Wex Pike. Oh, wait, wait, I do have another prop. Props to the Super Bowl going on this weekend. Go Pats. Oh, yeah. I forgot that was this weekend. Right. Shade at everybody else. I don't even care if you hate me for being a Pats fan. Yeah. Who's in that? New England and Atlanta. Oh. To be be clear, I don't hate the Falcons at all. Like, I'm actually a conditional Falcons supporter. I just, like, am a New England fan. Okay. Well, that's fair. I mean, I guess now that we're talking about sports ball, does that put us in the danger zone? Oh, that definitely put us in the danger zone. All right. That closes another chapter of the White Book. Bo show. Sure.